Have you ever wondered what the world would be like if people really listened to each other? Me too. In a noisy world, how do we focus on listening to the things that matter? Do you feel heard? And are you able to make others feel heard? Join me and guests from around the world as we tackle these important questions and become better listeners along the way. I'm conductor and creator Timothy Myers, and this is Listening on Purpose. Mark Hunter is a business and executive leadership coach and author of The Brink, How Great Leadership is Invented. As the president and founder of Pinnacle Coaching, he has spent over 25 years working globally with top-tier business and organizational executives and prominent thought leaders. For the last 14 years, he has trained high-level coaches to do what he does, which, as you have probably already guessed, includes an exploration of what it means to listen. Mark, I'm happy to have you here today. You're a very unique kind of listener in that you are a master certified coach. I've got so many questions for you. You have a great book. It's called The Brink, How Great Leadership is Invented. And it opens with a very, at least for me, palm sweat inducing account of you climbing Mount Kilimanjaro. I'm wondering if you could give us a little bit of context about your story of origin and how you ended up doing the work that you're doing today. Thank you, Tim. Thanks for having me here today. My story of origin really is that I grew up in Brooklyn, New York in the 70s and 80s. And um, it was a very different Brooklyn, New York than it is today. And I learned a lot of life lessons very early, how to read my environment. And in that context, it was a lot of threat assessing, to be frank, just being hyper aware of my environment, hyper aware of who's around and who could potentially be a threat or not. So just to be frank, a lot of the listening that I learned first was about how to protect myself and how to be safe. And so as to how to be safe and protected. So that was uh, sort of the, the origin of my listening career, so to speak. You know, from there, a lot of my success and pursuits were about getting myself out of that environment. So doing well in high school, so as to be able to get out of New York City and out of Brooklyn at the time and I went to college, I went to Wesleyan University in Connecticut, and I was a math and economics major. And I wanted to work on Wall Street because who, whoever lived in New York City in the 70s and 80s also wanted to work on Wall Street. And that's just, that was a thing. So I did that. And I, I, I got to work in, in the financial world and, and I found that I didn't enjoy it. I was good at it because I really enjoyed the, the analytical part, but I, there was a piece that was missing that I had not yet distinguished. And what I distinguished after hiring a coach of my own in 1995 was that there was a piece of what I was doing that missed, that was missing for me that I didn't even know I wanted. And that was working with people, working with human beings and, and talking about leadership, talking about listening, but, but, but more than just listening, communication itself and, and, and really, you know, sort of dissecting those pieces with people so that they could put them back together in ways that they wanted it. This really sort of birthed my career uh, as a leadership coach and consultant and trainer. Um, so that's sort of the, the, what, what came of uh, or where my, my career came from. And then that trip, and you talked about yes. <laughs> climbing Kilimanjaro, was a, a challenge that that coach posed to me. My first coach ah. challenged me outside my comfort zone because, you know, a lot of 
a lot of this this conversation about listening and communication is being able to do so when it's uncomfortable to do so. Mm-hmm. And to be able to do that means being able to be with your own discomfort. The biggest thing that you always wanted to do that you think is impossible. And I said, well, you know, travel the world. But who, who does that? Everybody says they want to do that. Nobody does that. But lo and behold, six months later, I sold my uh, co-op I owned in Manhattan and quit my job and working in the reinsurance industry and, and traveled the world for a year. And along the way, I discovered that climbing Kilimanjaro was something I really wanted to do. It wasn't the point of the trip. It was something that I discovered along the way by listening to travelers that I've met along the way and people who, who I sort of encountered and, and connected with, you know, what they found most impactful from their own travels. Mm-hmm. That's where Kilimanjaro came from. And while it's not a technical climb, the way some mountains are, it was a, it was, it's a challenging climb for those of us who are like me, not professional climbers. <laughs> right. Well, and you talk in your book about how you declined a lot of the, I guess, shall we say creature comforts available to you, such as someone to carry all of your stuff and, you know, oxygen and, and things. So you didn't, you didn't take it lightly. Yes. Yes. I wanted to see what it was like in its as pure form as I could. Um, whether and, and that, that sort of was also including risking not making it to the top, of course. Yeah. Oh, fascinating. Okay, I want to come back to that because that's an interesting thing to to encounter. It sounds like you had a transformational experience working with a coach, and I've been very fortunate to work with a coach for several years, and it's been a really life changing experience for me. Uh, for a lot of our listeners, I think it, it would be useful to talk a little bit about what exactly a coach does, what that involves, the, the interactions, uh, the goals that you might have in that kind of relationship to give a little more context to our conversation. So, you know, coaching contextually is a partnership with a client around what the client ultimately wants to create, that they are struggling creating or don't even see that they need to create perhaps even. So there's, you know, that, yeah. that exploratory piece in there, right? Which, which is a big part of the relationship. And I really call it a relationship on purpose. You know, coaching is not like you're going to your um, accountant to get advice where the ca- accountant is the expert in the thing that they're helping you with. As a coach, you know, if I were your coach, you're the expert in music. I'm the expert in what stops people from getting what they want, both experientially and tangibly. So that conversation exists most powerfully in relationships. So if you're going to be an effective coach for someone, you have to effectively be in relationship with them too, so that that these conversations can be had intimately, vulnerably, and openly. And, th- and that really, if you, if you think about the context of coaching, it is, is, is what I think coaching most, most powerfully is. I use the, I use an analogy I like to use for coaching of your bathroom mirror. So bear with me a minute because this is, yeah. you know, when you wake up in the morning, maybe not you, but when I wake up in the morning, I, uh, I know when I turn on that harsh light and I look at that highly reflective surface right up to my face, things aren't going to always look good. <laughs> and then that's actually, and this is the key, that's why I turn on that harsh light in front of that highly reflective surface at the worst time of day. Because I want to see the things that aren't working the way I want them to. And the reason I do that is so as to make an informed decision about what to do. In this case, I'm talking about my you know, hair, face, and appearance. But as a coach, that analogy holds water in that it, 
I'm the highly reflective surface, shining a, high, a light on individuals' leadership and their goals to have them be able to make an informed decision about what they want to do to reach the goal they want or, uh, or have the shift that they want to have. That's a great explanation. And, and what you talked about as far as the relationship is so true in my experience. Even two days ago, I actually, I have a call with my coach this afternoon, but I texted him two days ago and I said, this can't wait. I'm feeling overwhelmed. I need to say this so that it's so that I'm not alone in it. And, you know, good coaches have this wonderful way of holding space for you in a way that no one else in your life can really can really do. So I'm curious, as a coach, you can certainly coach someone on being a better listener. But that requires something of you that requires you to be in the proper listening space first. And how do you achieve that of, of getting yourself in that place where you are truly listening in a way that that person feels heard and that then you can work with them effectively? You know, Tim, it's it's a great question. And I think the answer goes back to relationship. I have to, I have to get back to the relationship that I'm in and get present to it. My relationship in that coaching engagement with a client is to be of service to them and to really have them be heard. In fact, one of the foundational pieces of the of the relationship itself between coach and client is that a coach is listening for the client's greatness, listening for what the client's needs are, and listening past what the client is saying. So first and foremost, to prepare to listen that way, I have to get myself out of the space. And I really have my listening in relationship with my client and listening for what they need past just the words that they're sharing with me and listening behind the words to what else is there. That's interesting. You got there before I was planning to, but talking about what's not being said and how that's an important part of listening. How do you do that? Are there things that you look for? Verbal cues, body language, what are ways that in our listening, we can be more in tune with people and what's left unsaid? You know, not always, it's not always that we're going to be able to see the person we're talking to. Oftentimes we're still talking by phone and such. So body language and other cues are important. And I think it's important to remember that I think the statistic is that something like 7% of communication is actually in the word that's spoken. <laughs> and the other wow. 93% is in everything else, tone, inflection, pace, volume, all of that is actually in additional information that's being delivered. Uh, so in addition to that, though, Tim, to, to, to sort of answer this question completely, I'm always listening behind what's being said on purpose. So I'm, I'm actively, and this is an important sort of distinction, I'm actively listening to what the person's saying, but I'm also listening behind what they're saying for three specific things. And this is something that I've, I've just sort of created in practice. Now I'm listening for context, need, and request. And so I'm listening past the words they're delivering to the context through which they're delivering those words, whether they're yes. afraid, angry, you know, curious, things like that. I'm listening for what the need is. And my assertion there is that there's a, there's a need behind every communication. Even if I showed up today and said, Hey, you know, there's a need behind that, right? <laughs> you know, you might, you might infer from that that I'm a little down today, but, but that's also data. That's information to listen for. Um, and then behind that is also a request. There's usually some request to be, to be heard sometimes, 
to be able to speak freely, to be accepted. Sometimes these these contexts, needs, and requests are explicit because someone will come and say, you know, exactly what they all are. And sometimes, most of the time, they're they're actually not explicit. They're things you have to you have to listen for actively, and you have to sometimes be in the inquiry with uh, with the client around. Also, that's interesting how you talk about that, Mark. It really illuminates the intimacy that true listening requires, and, and that there's a real generosity required to to effectively listen. We touched on also something that is very interesting to me. This is the distinction between hearing and listening. You know, some people talk about listening that you know you might you already have a context for someone, and so you know you're listening inside of that. And and different people use different terminology to describe that. But I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about listening context in a relationship that exists for like, for example, a long-standing relationship and how you address that. First, I want to back up and talk about that distinction between listening and hearing. The way I relate to this, and again, I don't know that I don't think of this as right. I just think of this as sort of the way I hold it is that listening is what happens from my ear outward. <laughs> you know, yes. it's what I'm listening for. It's the it's all the things that, you know, the, like I said earlier, uh, tone, inflection, pacing, I'm listening for out there, external to me. Mm-hmm. The hearing is what happens from my ear inward. You know, it's what, it's what I do with all the things that I'm listening for. Am I letting it all in? Am I hearing it as, um, as something that serves the client? As my, am I hearing it as something that, that doesn't serve the client? How much am I not hearing is another question I have to be asking. You know, I might be listening out there but not be letting it in for whatever reason. And I need to be responsible for that as a listener. That being said, in a long-term relationship, I think it's important to, to take a look at regularly what you're listening for. Am I listening for this person's effectiveness or ineffectiveness? <laughs> am, I, am I listening for this person's agreement or disagreement with me? And one of the more insidious ones that I notice contextually is, am I listening for the, this person's right or that they're wrong? And what I notice over over the long term in relationships, some of the the listening that we start out with, which is usually more open and curious and generous, starts to erode uh, or calcify into, uh, do I agree with this person or not? And are they right or are they wrong? And and that, that binary sort of listening can get in the way of us hearing all the things that there actually are to say. Well said. That's a dreamily concise explanation of... (laughs) Of how you of how you hold those ideas, I want to move on and talk specifically about your work in coaching and developing leaders in two contexts. So, first of all, how can one lead? And I don't look. I don't put leadership. And you talk about this in your book beautifully that. It, it requires certain things that we necessarily think it requires or that we've been led to believe that it requires, right? Anyone can be a leader. And I'm wondering if you have some thoughts on how one can lead simply by listening. I love that question, Tim. I would assert or argue that the best leaders are the best listeners, are are the most effective at listening. In my work with leaders, almost always the conversation about communication comes up. How am I, how can I be more effective communicating and, you know, and, and effective in my leadership? So I think that listening 
And by listening, it's really important that we, we talk about listening in a, in a very specific way. It's not just listening to what's, what's sent to me in an email or a memo or in a meeting, but am I listening to my audience? Am I listening to the, the tenor, the trajectory, the, the context, the tone, the sort of energy in the space even? Am I listening for all that? And, and what am I doing with what I'm hearing? You know, once I'm listening for that, what, when it gets in, what do I do with all that? And, and, and here's the key. Am I having that listening and everything that I hear effectively inform my speaking actions and leadership? So the way I think about and, and coach and train around listening and leadership is that if you're going to be a more effective leader and the most effective leader you can be, you have to be better, not just at listening, but at using that listening to inform your speaking and your leading. And then that's the, that I think is the art form. What do I do with all the stuff that I'm hearing and how do I have it uh, inform and, and sort of shape the way I lead my team or the way I lead in the, in the relationship or partnership that I'm in? Mark, I love how you just took that another level deeper than I was thinking about it and saying, you know, that listening, true listening, then requires action of some kind, right? It doesn't happen in a vacuum and then that listening is done and thank you very much. Uh, let me move on to listening to the next thing or person, but that, are, that it really requires us to be on the court, so to speak, and ready to actually be playing the game. How do you coach others in doing that? When you're training a coach, what's that process like to, to train someone to listen the way that you do and you know, what are things that you encounter along the way in, in training someone? One of the first things that I think every effective leader or listener has to deal with on an ongoing basis is um, how effective am I at noticing what's in the way of my listening? <laughs> so before we, we can be a great listener, um, one of the things we have to train in ourselves is what's in the way of me listening, right? I might, I might have trouble listening to this person for any number of reasons, most of which are, are my issue, not theirs. Mm -hmm. Practice, practice, practice is the unfortunate answer to this, right? We have to practice being effective listeners everywhere. And this is, this is the trick, right? Not just where, not just at, between nine to five at my job, but everywhere in my world. Am I listening to my environment and practicing listening to that environment and then practicing distinguishing what I hear and then layers of what I hear? And I think of, I think of the hearing part of it as layered. Right, I can hear like you might say, good morning, Mark. And I, I heard good morning, Mark. But I also heard care, maybe, right, as another layer. And then I heard a relationship as another layer. And then I heard connection, perhaps, as another layer. So you can start to see that even in a simple, silly statement like that, there can be layers of things that we hear. So in training coaches and leaders to do this, it has to be a big, big component of self-awareness and then practicing listening for layered messaging, layered information, um, layered contexts, needs, and requests back to our earlier conversation. And so that that first and foremost is the, the idea. And then practicing it over and over again with a coach or a trainer where that person is asking you constantly, so what did you hear? What did you hear? Mm -hmm. And then training, not just your listening, but your hearing, sort of the training outside of my of myself, you know, what am I listening for? And am I uh -huh. listening generously and openly for whatever comes from a curious space 
Uh, am I listening, listening actively for specifically what this person said they needed? Where, what are my blind spots to what there is to listen for? But then also training the inside game, which is once that once I've listened to all that was delivered, what am I actually hearing? What am I letting in? What am I dismissing and stepping over? What am I what am I missing even? So the constant sort of repetition of taking a look at uh, what am I listening for? And then what am I actually hearing from what I've listened for? That sort of over time starts to train the listening and the hearing um, in, in a leader. You beautifully teed up something that's important for us to talk about, and that is listening in a way that makes someone feel heard. I'm wondering if we could delve into that a little bit in two ways. Number one, the practice of listening in that way so that someone really feels heard. And then what are the indicators that you're having a, a good result, that they're actually that they are feeling heard and, and, you know, these cues that maybe think, okay, we're in this good listening zone here where this person is feeling like they're truly heard. You know, I, I think this is where you start to get into some of the relational art of, of listening, because in order for me as a listener to make you as a speaker know that you're heard, I have to communicate that to you. <laughs> and so as a listener, I also have to be speaking to you in different ways. And again, that's not always the spoken word. Sometimes that's a head nod, like you and I are doing while we're talking. Right, right. Uh, sometimes it's a smile, like a knowing wink. You know, there, there, there are ways that we communicate that, you, that you've heard someone. But one of the things that I think is most important, going back to the bathroom mirror analogy, is, is reflecting back what I heard. So if I think I heard one thing and... Um, and I assume that I'm right. I stopped listening to you. Now I'm just I'm just assuming that I heard what you said and I'm right and I'm going to run with it. So the option, the opportunity rather in that is to is to pause and say, so, Tim, what I heard is this. Is that is that what you intended? Is did I get that? You know, did, did I actually let that in? You know, did, did you did, did I express that or reflect that back to you properly so that you get the opportunity to partner with me in my in my hearing you fully. And you get the experience through that process of knowing that you're heard. And even the act of me asking you that, Tim, and did, did I get that right? Even the, the act of me asking that shows you that it matters to me that I hear you. Yes. And I think, you know, if there's anything that that's going to have somebody feel heard the most, it's them knowing that it matters to me that I hear you. It matters to me what you have to say. And, and my simply asking if I heard what you said accurately is probably the biggest way um, for me to reflect back to you that it matters. That re that's amazing. And it reminds me of an experience I had when I was a young conductor of watching a rehearsal of the New York Philharmonic. And they had a guest conductor who was a very, very, who well, still living, is a, is a very famous conductor and was known for you know, his fiery demeanor and uh, things like this. But what was fascinating was to see how in the rehearsal that went away because of the way he was listening and that you, it was very evident that something, he was creating a context in which they could make music. And the way that he would listen to something, for example, I remember very specifically an oboe solo, and you could really almost tell that it was not what he had originally envisioned, but that he 
placed such value in what that player was contributing in that moment. And the way he was listening reflected that value back to the player that it just was incredible how it took this environment and just made this incredible bond between this conductor and the orchestra. And orchestras are tough, I'll tell you. (laughs) Orchestras can be pretty tough. In coaching, I want to step to a a little bit of a side subject here, but it does relate to listening. In, In the coaching world, the idea of, or the word enrollment is used in a very specific way. Could you explain to us the idea of enrollment in the context in which you use it and how that interacts with listening? So, so enrollment in the context in which I use it in, in the coaching world really points to getting people on board with an idea, a direction, a trajectory, an activity, something. So enrollment at its core is that you see what's in it for you to do the thing that I'm asking of you. That's really the, if we put it in a tiny nutshell, that's really what it is. But the, the real challenge with it is that it, it's very, very different from me convincing, selling, uh, cajoling, <laughs> or begging you to do the thing that I am asking you to do. It really is, you know, those things I just listed are about me. I want you yes. to do this, Tim. I want you, please, please, you know, here's why you should, things like that. Those are all uh, oriented around me and my desire to have you do the thing that I'm asking. Uh, enrollment, however, is is more geared around you and what you need and want and why the thing that I'm asking of you aligns perfectly with the things that you want and that are important to you. So I'm, I'm really in an enrollment conversation. I'm connecting the dots between what I know about you and what you want and what's important to you with the thing I'm asking you to do. And the connection of these dots between what I want you to do and what's important to you, my you know, sort of practice of this is really in the world of listening. So in order for me to connect those dots, I have to be able to listen to you well enough to know how these two dots connect. And that doesn't just mean prior to this conversation. I mean, you know, it's not just that we've, we've had a, a relationship for 15 years and I know what's important to Tim. It's actually that I'm listening to you even in this moment, even if we've never met. Um, I'm noticing your reactions or lack thereof to my conversation, to my bringing it up. I'm watching, I'm listening to every aspect of you of the conversation from your side. Did you light up? Did your eyes get a little bigger? Did you, did you respond quickly and emphatically? And can I, you know how you can hear someone smile over the phone? Right. Yeah, back when absolutely. we used to, back when we used to talk by phone, right? You, right? you can hear someone smiling by phone, even if you really are listening. And so in an enrollment conversation where I want you to see what's in it for you to do the thing I'm asking of you, I have to be listening almost entirely to what's important to you about what I'm saying and the way I'm saying. It. And so that's how enrollment and listening interact. It's really listening is a thing that connects the dots between what I want you to do and what's important to you and why you would actually say yes. Mark, your concision in conveying these ideas is admirable. Thank you. If there was one practice that you would invite the listeners to try to deepen the way that they listen, maybe it's not one, but maybe some things that can be put into action immediately 
to to deepen the way that they listen. Let's put it that way. So, you know, I, I think it's it's probably at least two things. One is practicing listening for as many layers of the communication that you can possibly hear. So, and this is in every communication, by the way, that you you know whether it's in line at the grocery store or on the phone with your coach later, or in a, t- in a meeting with your team, or at the dinner table with your family. How many layers of context can I hear in what people are saying? Not just what they're saying, but what's the emotion behind it? What's the need? What's the con- the, the the context request? You know, what's actually behind what's being spoken and the way it's being spoken? So practicing listening. Oh, there's one. There's two. There's three things I can hear, sort of layered. And practicing listening to how many layers you can you can hear uh, once you let that listening in. But the other one is is reflecting to the person that you're listening to what you heard and checking for understanding. So, like we talked about a few minutes ago, right? When you when you hear somebody say something, um, letting them know that you're listening for them and that you care and that it matters to you what they say by asking them if you heard and understand what they intended for you to hear and understand. Now, look, this isn't, <laughs> this isn't something you're doing every sentence that's, that's uttered to you, right? But, sure. but in those relationships that, that are important where you're having complex and multifaceted conversations regularly, checking in. And, and, and look, Tim, if, if I were to give somebody an instruction around where to practice this, it's probably in the relationships and in the conversations where they're having the most misunderstanding where they're having the most discord, you know, where, where the, the communication is actually breaking down, especially in those areas, practice checking for understanding out loud with the person that you're listening to. So if I had to give sort of two practices, those are, those are probably the first two that would have them, them take long. I'm so glad I didn't limit you to, to one. <laughs> no, that's, that's wonderful because those are immediately actionable things. That a listener can, you know, when they're done listening to this episode, can put into put into practice right away. the The way that you describe listening for context needs and requests feels like it requires an immense amount of presence. How do you maintain that? This is a fatiguing thing to do. I mean, how do you maintain that when you're, you know, have a long day of coaching, uh, working with clients, and then you know, trying to practice good listening outside of that in your interpersonal relationships or customer service or up on the phone. Do you have some tips on how you stay present in the listening for long periods of time? Well, I want to start by challenging that that idea a little bit that it's somehow more um, exhausting or or requires more energy to be present and to listen in this way. It's much, much more of an energy drain to be multitasking, to be um, distracted and have to come back and distract and have to come back. I mean, the, the brain doesn't actually work that way. The brain, the brain doesn't actually deal with two things at once. It, it deals with one thing at a time, but it does it so quickly that you think you can do it two things, mm-hmm. think two things simultaneously and listen to two things simultaneously. So the irony in this is that I think it's a lot less of an energy drain to be present and to truly listen. I find it restorative, in fact, to be on a client call where I'm None of my stuff is in my space. And if you think about how much of that uh, sort of a little voice in your head is, is running through all the things, the complaints, the fears, all the, the sort of like, I think the Buddhists call it monkey mind, right? If you think about it, when you truly get present with someone else and you're listening to them, 
that part of your brain gets quieted. It, it, it slows down. It gets a little quieter in the background. And I'm able to just be with one voice, yours. And that, that's a lot less effort. So now I'm listening to one voice around sort of three components, right? That context, need, and request. Rather than the 90 voices of, you know, things in my head or what I should be doing and what I'm going to be doing next and what I should have done yesterday, I'm actually present in this moment with you. And so how I train people around that is first to dispel the idea that it's going to be exhausting to do so. It will be at first, yes, because you're not used to it. But being present is is actually a, a place of, of calm and peace and, and restoration in my experience. So first and foremost, getting people clear that this is going to be a restorative experience, not an exhausting one once you get practiced at it. Now, once they do that, I, I think the, the key is remembering that the answer to how to be sort of be resilient in a conversation is to be more present with the person and to listen deeper. And, and I, I find now after a lot of years of doing this, that after a long day or string of days where I'm on and listening this way for a long period of time, I'm more arrested and more present at the end of that than I was at the beginning, because it really is a bit, a bit centering. Um, and so I, I think it's it's also a lot of trust, though, Tim, right? I mean, you have to, in order to do that and be present, you have to trust that putting down all that other multitasking and sort of a frenetic way of thinking and being, putting that down is going to be okay. I mean, let's face it, a lot of the reason that people don't get present and hear each other fully is fear. Ultimately, at yes. the bottom of that barrel is I'm afraid that if I... If I stop shouting <laughs> at you and actually start listening to you, then I'm not going to be heard. I'm not going to be valued. I'm not going to matter anymore. Some version of that lives. You got to put that down and start practicing trusting that me listening to you is going to add to me, not take away from me. So those are those are a couple of, of answers to your question. But but that's those are I think are the keys to to teaching someone how to do this. Thank you for that. It it really got me present specifically to the idea that listening can be very disarming. It can invigorate a situation. It, it, there, it, it has incredible power when, when someone realizes you're actually listening to them. There's a new opening in that relationship, whatever, whatever relationship it is. Agreed, including the relationship with yourself, right? Just being able to, to, to hear yourself even. And, and to, to be able to hear other people completely changes the way you relate to you, even not just externally. That's a great point. I'm glad you said that, Mark, because it, it's, you know, listening to your own body is such an important thing. I was heard somebody the other day, I believe it was from Conscious Leadership Group, talking about, is it a full body yes? Right? The the, the cues that you, you look for, right? And, okay, instead of just agreeing to do something, but really, okay, is this a full body yes? Is every part of you engaged in committing to something and the, the process of doing that? How can we listen better to ourselves to understand if we are coming from a place of love or a place of fear before entering into a conversation? I think it's to take a look at a, a few things. Before speaking, check in around what my intention is in my speaking? What am I intending to convey, create, or deliver in my speaking? That's going to inform my speaking. It's going to, it's going to shift the way what I'm saying is heard. 
Um, so listening to ourselves is a is another function of that. I think listening to ourselves includes what's my intention in what I'm doing? What's my intention in in who I'm listening to even? But but I think more importantly, what's my intention in, in, in what I want to create for me today in this conversation? What's the what do I want to walk away from this interaction with the person I'm listening to with? Uh, and, and I think that we'll find uh, that that introspective questioning of ourselves will start to expose some of the things we need. You know, so many of us are, are sort of distanced from our own needs nowadays that this is a great way to start taking a look at some of those needs that we've deprived ourselves of. Connection, uh, especially now in the days of COVID, but also being heard <laughs> is a need. And so I, I think listening to ourselves takes practice, though. Realizing that there is, that, that what I am saying and feeling matters enough to be heard also, the same way I'm valuing what other people are saying and, and the value of hearing them. So really, I think it's about practicing putting myself in that same mix in terms of relationship and remembering that I am in relationship with myself. And there's a lot that my body and my my mind is sort of sharing with me on a regular basis. And if we can tune that inwards, ironically, it'll actually create a lot more of that presence and peace. It's a lot less effort in trying to sort of manage everything externally. What would the world look like with more listening? the world will look profoundly different if there were more listening. First of all, I think the volume of the speaking would go down significantly. And I don't just mean by decibels. I mean, the amount of communication that's flung around would be much smaller. I think that, that you'd see a lot less conflict. And I mean that in every sense of the word. From a deep and intentional listening of someone else, you've got to be in relationship with them. <laughs> So there's no othering from there, right? It's not, I'm not listening to you as an, as a separate other, you know, you're wrong, I'm right. You're on the other side of that line or fence or position or political um, point. I, uh, there's a, there's an us and a we in a true listening relationship. So were we to globally be listening more and more effectively and intentionally this way, I think there'd be a deepening sense of of community and of of us uh, and, a, and a reduction of separation and from there the experience of loneliness of being dismissed of not mattering of of sort of being insignificant i think those experiences that people have suddenly start to diminish very quickly um, and then the amount of 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 force i need to apply to get my point across starts to go down because i'm being listened to regularly and I'm, uh, I'm used to being listened to. And so I trust <laughs> the listener and I can now speak from a place of trusting you, truly hearing not just my words, but my intent behind those words. And, and that I'm, I'm with you and partnered in relationship around what we're talking about, even if we disagree, which is where it matters the most, of course, right? I mean, yes. you know, when, when we agree, it's very easy, but when it, when, when it matters most is when we disagree, which is a valuable thing that we have disagreement. But if we're listening to each other, you'll find, we would find, I think, that the rift between you and I is much smaller than you think. Um, if you simply look at political conversation, and I put that in quotes. <laughs> There's very little true conversation or communication that goes on. There's mostly flinging and then flinging back in the other direction of, of opinion, righteousness, and 
ideas. And there's not, that's not a real conversation because there's very, very little listening going on there. And if people listened, I think you'd find, and they would find, and we would find that there's much less of a, of a sort of cavern between us. Um, and that people are actually wanting a lot of the same things in the world, but we're not listening right. to each other enough to hear it yet. So I, I, I got a list of things that I just popped into my head that's uh, an hour long. So I'll, I'll pause there. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's wonderful. I, you highlight that the stakes are high. The stakes are very high. And, you know, the passion for creating more listening in the world is based on dire need, I believe. In, in the human race and beyond. Parting shot, if you could broadcast a simple message that would be translated into every language and be broadcast throughout the world, what would it be? If I could share one message in all languages around listening, it would be to listen for commonality instead of listening for differences. Listen for how we connect. Listen for how you are me and I am you rather than for how you're a threat to me or how I can be a threat to you. And if we, if we simply did that one thing globally, the amount of shift in our experience of the world would change so much that I don't think it'd be recognizable. Mark Hunter, thank you for this incredible conversation. I want to encourage people to check out your book called The Brink. How Great Leadership is Invented. It's a really great read, and it's very relatable the way it's written. So it's, it's something that's easy to, to pick up and get into and immediately have things that you can put into practice. And we will put other information about Mark in the show notes, so make sure you can find him. But Mark, I, I just want to express my sincere gratitude for being here today in this space together, for your listening of me and of your willingness to engage in this conversation. I'm very, very grateful, and I'm excited for our listeners to hear it because there's a lot of wonderful information here and things that can make a huge difference in our lives. So thank you very much for your generosity today. Thanks, Tim. Thanks again. Thank you for listening to Listening on Purpose, hosted by me, Timothy Myers. I hope you are enjoying our deep dive into the world of listening and are finding it useful in your life. Please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with others or leave a rating and a review. You can visit listeningonpurpose.com to sign up for an email list that includes special episode highlights show notes, and more information about our guests. To find out more about me, please visit timothymyers.com or find me on Facebook at Timothy Myers Conductor or Instagram at Mo T. Myers. Listening on Purpose is a production of Extra Musical. Executive producers are Meredith Carter for EQV Media and yours truly for Extra Musical. Listening on Purpose is edited by Brian Baltashevitz for Balto Creative Media. Original music was composed by DJ Spar and performed by DJ and Kimberly Spar. Thanks again for joining us. We'll see you next time for Listening on Purpose.